G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Welcome to Leading the Way with pastor and author of more than 50 encouraging and challenging books, Dr. Michael Yusuf, known and respected worldwide as a pastor who stands for and on the truth of God's Word. Dr. Yusuf is often asked to share his biblical insights in many nations and platforms around the world. One such opportunity is what you'll hear coming up in today's Leading the Way audio. It's an interview Dr. Yusuf completed a while back on the popular broadcast, A Very Tall Man. Listen carefully to this very special episode of Leading the Way. In the book Saving Christianity, you say, these would-be saviors have exchanged prayer for marketing strategies, salvation for social action, holiness for happiness, power from God for favor with men, and timeless truth for lies. They have focused on what is profitable at the expense of what is prophetic. Exactly. And they have settled for what sells instead of for the one who saves. And then, and this is the bit that I want to ask you about, sure. you quote a verse from Jeremiah, Oh, that my head were a spring of water mm. and my eyes a fountain of tears. Right. What does it mean? It means that as Jeremiah was looking at what happened to the people of God, what happened to Israel, and the disaster that overtaken them, and the disaster that has overtaken them was a direct result of their disobedience to the Word of God, but they're departing from the truth of the Scripture. And that is why, you know, later, of course, after they come back from exile, and Ezra would read the Word of God, they just weep and weep and weep. But when Jeremiah was looking at the people being murdered and died, and many others are taken into Babylon and into exile, he said, I just want to weep day and night. I don't want to stop weeping over what has happened. It was so disastrous, it's so painful to him as a man of God, as a prophet of God, that he, he wished that he just water would come out from his head to his eyes and he would be pouring tears day and night and cry over what had happened. It seems today that people are taking away from the canon of Scripture. Exactly. Or adding to it as well. I mean, they are taking away and adding, adding their own opinion, their own ideas. Can you give me an example? Well, the prosperity gospel, for example. When we read in the Scripture that the apostles considered themselves unworthy to suffer for Christ, uh, we're saying any suffering is bad, and your best life is now. And I said, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm looking forward to heaven. That's where my best life will be. But when you deceive people on telling them that your best life is now, what are they going to do? They're going to become secular because the word secular means this life. Everything is going to be focused on this life. But we are sojourners. We are travelers. Now, to be sure, Jesus said, occupy till I come. And we get busy and we work hard. We don't just sit on our blessed assurance and do nothing. 
we work hard. But nonetheless, we know that we have a city that's not built with hand, and that's what we're looking forward to. And that is part of taking away and adding, taking away and adding, watering it down. Well, you know, if you don't like the story of Jonah, we'll take it out. Don't, don't have to believe it. If you don't like the idea that the, the world was flooded, well, we'll take it out. And we're going to end up with a Jefferson Bible. A Jefferson Bible was with a razor blade. He cut all the supernatural out of his Bible. And that's what we're having today in many a church. And we said, oh, love, love, love. Their definition of love is alien to the Scripture. Now, here's a problem then, because what you think church is, what I think church is, hopefully we're on the same page. We are. Yeah, we're on the same page. But what happens if there's someone from the outside and they go, well, he's a Christian and says that. That guy says that. Mm. How do they know what is true? Well, that is exactly what Satan is doing. He's creating confusion. Your truth, his truth, my truth, everybody has their own truth. And once you create the confusion, people become easy prey for Satan. And that's, that's what he's doing, and we're seeing it all over the world. But the truth is, what's in the book? <laughs> Paul said to Timothy, it is God-breathed, all of it. Not what we like and what we don't like, all of it. Not like uh, what uh, N.T. Wright, whom I call N.T. Wrong, says. <laughs> you know, he says, well, we've got to make a distinction between when Paul speaks as the rabbi, the Jewish rabbi, and when he speaks as the apostle to the Gentiles. So, wait a minute. Who's going to decide that? He's going to decide that? Anybody else going to decide? We're going to sit on judgment on the Word of God? So, I tell people, and said, I'm confused. I said, go to the Word of God. The word canon actually, is Arabic word that has crept into the language of the Scripture. Canon is a measuring stick. Kanun, actually, from the original language. It's a measuring stick. You measure by it. You want a a meter of this or half a meter of that? You measure. So the Bible is called canon because it is a measuring stick. Go back to the measuring stick. It's not what I say, not what you say, not what they say. It's what the Word says. But what is interesting today is that we say this is today's culture and this is how we must see it. These yeah. are the lens that we look through, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are you not being a bit of a grumpy old man and saying, no, we, this is the only way? Right. How do you determine what belongs today and what belonged yesterday? Well, the <laughs> human nature never changed. From the day of Adam and Eve to this day, human nature never changed. Culture changed, uh, the economy, the industry, everything else changed. But the human nature has never changed. Is that we are born sinners, we are sinners by birth, we are sinners by practice, and there is good news because that sin condemns us for eternity in hell. But the good news is there is one who came and took away our sin upon his sinless body on the cross in order to give us forgiveness and salvation. That is the core of the gospel. With people adding and taking away and, and pastors saying, I'll take this bit out, uh-huh. what happens if you're in a church and all of a sudden you feel that this isn't going well anymore? Maybe when it started it was right on the money. Right. What do you do? Do you leave? Absolutely. I'll put my shoes on and run. <laughs> I'll run. If I'm in a place of authority, if I have a say, then I will work hard to change it. If the pastor has turned his back on the gospel and doubting the Word of God, then I will bring the congregation together and we ask him to either repent or move on. 
But if I don't have any authority and the whole church is moving in that direction, then I'm going to find a church that preaches, believes, and teaches, and lives the gospel, and I'll join it. Define, by your words, a Christian. Well, this is interesting. I live in a Jewish neighborhood. I love my Jewish neighbors. I love them enough. I want to share Christ with them. I tell them that he is their Messiah. And one, a lovely man, very wealthy man, actually, he said, well, Michael, I am just a heathen. I said, I'm glad you said that, because that's immediately you're halfway to becoming a Christian. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's when acknowledging that I am a heathen (laughs) and knowing that I'm a lost sinner is the halfway. And then the next half is to acknowledge that I need a Savior, and that Savior is the Messiah Jesus. That's really the simplest way to understand what a Christian is. One who, who looks in the mirror and said, I'm a lost sinner. And because of my sin, the wages of sin is judgment. That's what the Word of God. And so there is one who can save me from that judgment, Jesus. And when I come to him with all of my sins and with all of my failures and shortcomings and foibles, and I said, forgive me, that moment a person becomes converted to Christ, become a born-again Christian, become a believer, become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is really the bottom line of what a Christian is, is the fact that he acknowledges he's a sinner and needs a Savior. And the Savior is always ready to come as soon as he's invited in. My guest, not only a teacher, but a preacher, because he just had the gospel delivered, <laughs> delivered to you. Now, the dramas, though, have been going on in Christendom forever, because even in the Psalms you read about, this, uh, Psalm 11 says, yeah. when the foundations are being destroyed, yes. what can the righteous do? Yeah. So your questions are not new, are they? No, they're not. And in the book, Saving Christianity, with question mark, I give a short history <laughs> that really turning away from the truth did not start today, did not even start in the Old Testament, started in the Garden of Eden. It's in the Garden of Eden when he says, well, did really God mean what he said? They're raising doubt in their minds. And he's been doing that ever since. We've seen it happen to the very people of Israel, whom he redeemed from the slavery of Egypt. He brought them out in the promised land. He got them through the Red Sea and all the miracles and the manna from heaven. And as soon as they need something or got into a problem or face a problem, they say, oh, where is God? That is the problem of the human heart from the very beginning. The Jewish people, though, since 1948, have had their own land. Yes. So are you of the view that we are heading towards the end times? I have found that getting involved in all those debates and the and the graphs, and who went where, and who did what. There's so many people just literally live their Christian life by the headline news. Mm. Now, I would love to think that we live at the end of time, because that's a great, <laughs> great opportunity. And the Bible said, when you see these things, lift up your heads, because your day of redemption has drawn nigh. So I'm excited if that's the case. But nonetheless, I am trying to spend every waking moment in my life to see to it that people who don't know Jesus and want to know Jesus, get to know him. And for those who know Jesus, they will grow more like him. And that is really what I want to do instead of, you know, getting involved in who went where and who did what. And I'm nothing against them, but that's my personal motivation. So are you hopeful for the future? I'm always hopeful for the future because the future is in his hands. We might think things are out of control. It's never out of his control. 
And even the dreadful things that are happening, don't worry me because I know that God is sovereign. He's in control, and he's working all things. Ephesians 1.11 says, he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. And therefore, I don't worry about it. I want to be faithful. I want to work as hard as I know how. So when I go to heaven and I meet with Jesus, I want to hear those words from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the desire of my heart. But that's, you know, that's my calling, and, and I'm not putting that burden on others, but just my burden. The Apostles' Creed is something that you, you speak about. Right. Why is the Apostles' Creed so important? It, it is. It is it was the first, I mean, it's a summary of the gospel. And remember, in the early days of the apostles, they had illiteracy. And therefore, they wanted to put the faith in a capsule so people can comprehend it. And once they accept it, they want to affirm it. And so they put those words together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and his son Jesus Christ, our only Lord, only Lord, you see. And every word in the Apostles' Creed has been chosen by the apostles and chosen by their successors so that it would be literally, literally, the distillation of the gospel. So this is not adding to the canon of Scripture? No, is it? Not at all. No, it's summarizing it yeah. uh, for those who may not be able to read. I love the end of it. Yes. Amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy oh, Catholic Church, yeah. the communion of the saints, yeah. forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. everlasting. Yes. And then amen. That's right. But not many of us know the Apostles' Creed word for word, do we? And should we maybe? Uh, we do. In fact, I, you know, in our church, at least once every few weeks, I tell the congregation, let's stand and affirm the summary of our faith. Uh, let's affirm what God has done in history. And this is our affirmation to the world. That's what we believe. Not that the creed is going to save us any more than the Ten Commandments saved people. They didn't. They just told us how impossible it is to save ourselves, and therefore they send us to Christ. And so this is really the creed is an affirmation for the believer. It's not for everybody. It's for only the believer to say, yes, that's what I believe. And even when you come to the word Catholic, back then, you know, they used the word because the word means universal. Uh, the elect of God, we call them in the evangelical world. The church, universal. That's the believers from every, every tribe, every nation, and every language that will be gathered in heaven. That's what I mean by the Catholic. Can, can I just go through those last couple of lines and just get your take on it? Absolutely. Can we break it down? Is that yes, okay? Absolutely. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes. Means what? It means that he is the third member of the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity. I used to have a friend uh, many years, a few years ago, and, and he kept referring to the Holy Spirit as it because he said it's a force. I said, no, he is a person. The Bible makes it very clear that he is equal to the Father and the Son. He's the, after all, he's the Spirit of Jesus. And the reason we know he's a person is because the Bible said that he gets grieved he gets grieved, and he gets quenched, and his own person gets very grieved when he sees a child of God living in rebellion. And so he is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the third member of the Trinity. And it's deliberate that that's the first line of that final stanza, right? It's important. That we Absolutely, know that. yes. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We see, without the Holy Spirit, here's what Jesus said. He said, any sin can be forgiven except the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit 
is the one who comes to me and says, Michael, you're a sinner. You're heading for hell. And open my eyes to realize not only that I'm a sinner, but there is a great Savior that I can go to him to, for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He quickens our dead souls. We're all born uh, with an internal set of eyes, as it were, and these were blind. I love the next line, the communion of the saints. That right. strikes me as being together. Absolutely. It's not the communion that we have in the Lord's Supper. It's a fellowship of the saints. It's a fellowship. I can go to another country and I walk to a Bible-believing church. I'm immediately in fellowship with these believers. That we are one. It doesn't matter what language. It doesn't matter what nationality. That the communion is really more of the spirit to spirit. So it doesn't matter whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian, brethren or whatever. Absolutely As long not. as they love the Lord, that's where the communion of the saints happens. Absolutely. And do you recognize it in your heart, in your spirit? Oh, no question. Our spirit witnesses, John said that. He said, as our spirit witnesses to their spirit. And so spirit to spirit, we immediately connect. I mean, I can meet you and we immediately have instant communion, yep. instant fellowship. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, I have the Holy Spirit in me, and that's what unites us. The forgiveness of sins is one of those things that separates Christianity from a lot of other faiths, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and that can be seen as a, a bit tough. But for us, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, absolutely. The most amazing thing. And I have so many uh, Muslim friends who became Christians. And one of the things that kind of – a common theme among them is that – I didn't know that I can know God as a person. God, to me, before I became a Christian, God was so remote, so removed. He may have mercy on me if I beg him, but I'm not really sure because the book says that God leads and misleads. So he's a kind of a cunning, very devious guy up there, and I really don't know him. But when they come to know him and to love him and to know that he's not only a God who loves them dearly, but he can forgive their sins eternally. You see, when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. It's all in the package. And then the last line, the resurrection of the body life, everlasting, and then amen. Amen. That's right. You know, Paul said, absence from the body is presence with the Lord. And then he tells the Thessalonians that when Christ comes, he's going to bring the saints who have departed in their glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15, he describes this clearly, how this body rots, and actually he calls it a tent, and the tent will fold. But then Jesus said, I have a mansion. That doesn't mean that we're going to have big palaces. By mansion, in comparison to the resurrected body, the supernatural body, a body like Jesus's after the resurrection that is awaiting every believer, if you compare it to this body, <laughs> it's a tent. Mansion, tent, mansion, tent. <laughs> Where would you want? I want to live in that mansion. That is a glorified body. And so they come with Christ. They take the believers, the living believers at the time of the return of Christ, and we are together, be with him forever. The Old Testament and the New Testament, For just to getting back to how sure. some people are confused, they look at the Old Testament and they go, ah, nothing in there for me. Yeah. Yet the Old Testament from Genesis already is talking about the resurrection. Absolutely. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is where the gospel is. And God tells Adam and Eve that Satan would nip at his heel, talking about the child of the woman. And you see, this is why in their mind they said God is going to send a Savior. 
So as soon as Cain was born, they did not know it's going to be thousands of years down the road. They thought that was him, and that the word Cain means here he is. <laughs> here he is. They thought this is the one. But of course, in the economy of God, we had to wait thousands of years. Abraham, he looked at the time of Jesus and he longed for it. That's why when Jesus said to these Pharisees, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. They got so mad at him and wanted to stone him to death because they said, you're not even 50 years old yet. How can Abraham would have seen your day? But that's the blindness they had. They didn't understand that all of the saints of the Old Testament, all the genuine believers, because not all the Jewish people of the Old Testament were believers. They were just like anybody claimed to be a Christian is a believer. And so there were the remnant within the Old Testament, as there is a remnant within the New Testament. And so those who believed from Abraham on were the ones who look forward to the coming of Christ. They look to the cross by faith to come. We look back by faith that has happened. What's your take on the resurrection and the ascension? Is that something that we don't hear enough of these days in terms of teaching? Yes, uh, we don't hear enough because we realize that the resurrection in itself is going to demand a verdict. Why did God raise Jesus from the dead physically, bodily, corporally, literally out of the grave? It's not just his soul rose to, in order that he, just like I quoted Paul from Acts 17, so that he will judge the world. And therefore, if he's going to judge the world, he's going to judge you, he's going to judge me, he's going to judge everybody. And therefore, he commands everyone everywhere to repent because he's going to have this judge on the bench and to give evidence that he has the authority of a judge, he raised him from the dead. So the resurrection is pivotal to any gospel preaching. And I ask that because with the whole idea of let's look after Christianity, it's something that you don't seem to hear a lot of these days, and it's almost pushed, one of those things that you talk about that's pushed off to the side. But what is it with Christianity without the risen Christ? Paul said, if we don't believe that, we are the most miserable of all people. <laughs> I mean, this is, we're just playing church, we're playing religion without the resurrection, because that is, I mean, that's the very argument he makes in First Corinthians. Without the resurrection, we are to be pitied if we don't anchor our faith on the resurrection of Jesus. My special guest has been Dr. Michael Youssef, uh, who is the, uh, the, the lead pastor on uh, Leading the Way. And because he's not only a teacher but a preacher, can I just leave the last word to you? Can you just talk to people who are watching and go, actually, that guy makes a little bit of sense, a little bit tough at places. Can you just give me a, an, an overall summary of what you think we need to do? Sure. Well, here's what you need to be thinking about. Who would love you so much that he would leave the glories of heaven where he has been the, on the rim of the universe reigning and ruling and come to earth, born of a virgin, live the poverty of the poor, the worst kind, and yet he raised the dead, healed the sick, and then he himself hung on a cross because the Bible said without shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. So he died on the cross so that everyone, and I hope you are one of those everyone, that you would come to him and that you accept his death on the cross to be done for you so that you can receive forgiveness and eternal life. And then he rose again in order to assure you who come to him of your own resurrection and eternal life with him in heaven. That's the only way. It's not my way, it's his way. And you and I need to come to accept his way. 
Dr. Michael Yusuf, and who said that a pastor can't give the gospel message in less than a minute? God bless you, and thank, <laughs> thank you, you very much for being on. Thank you, Gary. God, God bless you. You're listening to Leading the Way, featuring a heart-to-heart interview with Dr. Michael Yusuf on the popular A Very Tall Man broadcast. If you'd like to listen to today's audio again, visit our website at ltw.org, ltw.org, and click on the Listen link. Thank you for listening today. Do join us again next time. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.